Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. It's very difficult to do a memorial to a close friend who just died, such as my dear friend Maurice Canbar, who just died. You may know him, you may not know him. He invented Sky Vodka, if you ever heard of it. He sold it years ago, but uh, I met him many years ago. He was a great inventor, entrepreneur, philanthropist. He died peacefully at the age of 93, God bless him. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him personally and professionally and how I got to know him. It began with radio. You see, I began in radio in 1994 in San Francisco on the local station, um, first on KGO, then KSFO. And uh, I guess in the first few months of my broadcasts on KSFO, I once mentioned <laughs> that I left my glasses at home and couldn't read any of the news stories. <laughs> and I said, I guess we'll just have to take calls today. Well, lo and behold, 20 minutes later, the front desk of the ABC building, Harold, lovely guy, calls from the front desk and says, <laughs> he says, Mr. Savage, there's someone here for you at the front desk. I said, I'm on the air right now during a break. I, I didn't ask anyone to come here. He said, no, no, no. He doesn't know you, but he brought you a pair of universal eyeglasses that he invented that you can use to read. I said, what kind of garbage is that? I never heard of such a thing. Don't you need a prescription to read? He said, I don't know anything about it. Well, as it turns out, the glasses worked fine. I don't know what they were. It was, um, there were glasses with holes in them, and you can, you can read anything, and you can read anything no matter what your, what your prescription is, and they worked. And then we got to know each other from that point on. We became really close friends because he was, he was everything that I liked in a person. He was quirky. He was small but feisty. He was from Brooklyn, and he knew everybody traveled the world. He was, as I said, not only an inventor, I didn't know much about him at the time. I didn't know his background. He was just a charming guy, strong-willed, very, very strong-willed, wouldn't take crap from anybody, but he had a fast sense of humor, and we became best friends immediately, and he became a part of my family. He was raised in Brooklyn. He attended Yeshiva Etz Chaim in Borough Park, New Utrecht High School in Brooklyn and Philadelphia Textile Institute, 
later renamed Philadelphia University, where he studied materials, science, and engineering. I didn't know any of this about him at all when I first met him. All I knew was he was a guy who drove around San Francisco on a motor scooter. And then I found out much more about him as we got to know each other. He um, had an incessant desire to be out there with people. And let me tell you a little bit about how we began. Uh, as I said, you may know him from the vodka, but he was a born inventor. And he had an intellectual curiosity that never ended. In fact, if you went into his apartment, he, has one, he had one whole floor in his apartment building dedicated to his inventions. He began... At age 10, apparently, when he took a job as a delivery boy at a local pharmacy, it's something he and I both shared in common. I worked in the pharmacy as well. And he hoped to earn a nickel tip with each delivery. At age 12, Maurice and his best friend started a photography business selling baby portraits. At 21, he invented, listen to this, Defuzzit. You ever hear of Defuzzit? A lint remover, which earned him $200,000 in its first year on the market. Maurice still, well, he's passed away, but he holds more than 50 patents on products ranging from sophisticated medical devices to reimagined and modernized ancient children's games. He, he, he had children's games, and he used to travel to China every year. He would do a round-the-world trip every year, I remember. And one of his stops was in China where he had his toys made. People don't know that about him. But going back to Defuzzit, he told me how he came up with it, which I've since forgotten. It was something about a concrete wall and how it stuck to his sweater. And from there, he developed Defuzzit, a lint remover. <laughs> I don't know. That's how inventors work. But Maurice was a film lover. He was in the movie business. And he uh, built the first multiplex theater, the Quad Cinema in Greenwich Village in 1972. Uh, he was known for promoting independent filmmakers and he went on to produce the animated feature film Hoodwink. You may remember that. And its sequel, Hoodwink 2. Two uh, movies that did very well indeed. He um, created a vodka in 1992. And the reason he did so is he wanted to reduce the headaches he suffered when enjoying a martini. So he created a unique distillation and filtration process to remove congeners, which are impurities from alcohol, which he had discovered were the cause of his headaches. You may notice that uh, wines, for example, are not as pure as vodka, for example, because wines contain many congeners, and red wines contain more congeners, which give the red wines their flavor. So he devised this distillation and filtration process, created this product, and made his vodka. He came up with the name Sky when looking out the window at a perfect San Francisco sky. And he also designed the distinctive cobalt blue bottles, which I loved because I had worked in the pharmacy as a kid as well. They looked like pharmacy bottles. He sold his vodka business to Campari in 2001, by the way, which I understand he regretted years later because it was worth 10 times more a few <laughs> 10 years later. He then wrote a best-selling book called Secrets from an Inventor's Notebook. Maurice, my best friend, established the Canbar Institute of Film and Television at NYU, the Canbar College of Design, Engineering, and Commerce at Philadelphia University, the Maurice Canbar Center for Biomedical Engineering at Cooper Union, and the Canbar Cardiac Care Center in San Francisco at CPMC Hospital. He made many donations to many, many different places 
uh, many in, uh, well, I'll read some of them. American Heart Association of San Francisco, the University of Haifa, Bar Ilan University, Bowdoin College, the Exploratorium in San Francisco, uh, KQED, which I despise, the Salvation Army, which I love, the SF Symphony he gave money to, Cur- Girls Chorus, the Film Society, the UCLA School of Theater and Television, the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco, the Hebrew Immigration Aid Society, and many other worthy organizations that you've never heard of. Maurice was a very giving man, emotionally and financially. He always was quick to help anyone who was in need, any relative or friend. He wanted to make life easier for others, and he often said, you can't take it with you. Maurice's legacy can be summarized in the words of Ralph Waldo Emerson, who wrote, to know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived, this is to have succeeded, unquote. Maurice never married. That's the interesting part. He loved women, dated women throughout his life, and some of the most beautiful women you could ever meet. And um, he said to me many times in his life, the one thing he regretted was not having had children. That's an interesting story for those of you out there who are still waiting at age 60 to get married. Take Maurice's advice. Get married and have children. He loved children. He loved my children. Um, And he was a lifetime friend. There are so many other stories I can tell you that escape me right now. Maybe I'll remember them later and add them. But right now, all I want to say is Maurice Canbar passed away. He was born uh, March 1, 1929. He passed away August 20th, 2022. And I would consider him my closest friend. Oh, yes, there is one other little story I can remember. God, what year was this? It was to do with my lovely dog, Teddy, who passed away last Thanksgiving. You know, Teddy, the mascot of the Savage Nation. My little uh, so-called toy poodle, but I don't like the word toy because he was anything but a toy. When he was a puppy, I invited Maurice to visit me at a little farmhouse I own, which had a small orchard on it. And he loved the fresh apricots and fresh peaches that came up in August at my hillside property. And so he came to visit to get a bag of peaches or apricots, whatever it was that uh, we had. And Teddy was a puppy at the time. So we're going back. Uh, Teddy died at 16, 17. This has to be 17 you know, years ago, I suppose. And so he was playing with Teddy. And, you know, I do the same thing when I play with a puppy. You put your finger in their mouth. Well, Teddy's teeth were sharp as razor blades. And um, they cut his, his teeth went right through Maurice's finger like a razor and cut his finger. And he never got angry at Teddy. He just didn't. He didn't exhibit any anger. He understood he was playing with a puppy and he cut his finger. Oh, there are so many other stories. He had dinner parties there. I remember the fun stories. How do you summarize a man's life that you cherish so much other than saying, Maurice, I hope you're in heaven, and I hope my mother was waiting for you with a great dinner. Goodbye, Maurice Campbell. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, 
Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989-898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989-898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989-898 with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989-898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Welcome back to the Michael Savage Podcast. I've just given you my eulogy to my dear friend Maurice Canbar, and now I have a special treat for you. This is from August of 2014. It's an interview done with Maurice in his own voice at the Commonwealth Club by Dr. Mary Bitterman, president of the Bernard Osher Foundation. This is a fabulous, complete interview that is full of humor and information that I'm sure you're going to love. Thank you very much for listening. It is my pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Maurice Canbar, noted inventor, philanthropist, and author of the author of the newly updated version of his 2001 book, Secrets from an Inventor's Notebook. I am also very pleased to call Maurice a good friend. Long before there was the TV series Shark Tank, there was Maurice Canbar. Maurice has been called a modern Buckminster Fuller, and he has accumulated over 41 patents, 41, in four decades of inventing. His creations include the Defuzz It Sweater Comb, a customizable sticky notes device called Zip Notes, Sky Vodka, and its successor, Blue Angel, They're both very good. The first nation's first multiplex movie theaters, which happen to be in New York City. Durable eyeglasses, which he donates, 50,000 or more as I recall, and going up to people in developing countries. Very extra safe children's toys. Organically manufactured foods. A caviar and much, much more. In 2006, Maurice actually produced his first feature film. Maybe some of you saw it. It was the animated film called Hoodwinked, followed by Hoodwinked 2, its sequel, Hood vs. Evil. 
Maurice is also well known for his charitable contributions from the CANBAR Cardiac Center at California Pacific Medical Center in San Francisco to New York University's CANBAR Film School, to the internationally renowned San Francisco Girls Chorus, whose performing arts center on Page Street bears his name. Maurice was born and reared in Brooklyn. His roots were not wealthy ones. His parents owned a small laundry. He had to make it on his own, and he early on learned the value of saving. Maurice holds a degree in engineering from Philadelphia University, which also awarded him an honorary degree, along with another that he received from Kenyon College in Ohio, which it just so happens is my own alma mater. He has quite clearly put his education to good use. Today, Maurice will be in conversation with Dr. Mary Bitterman, who is past chair of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors, president of the Bernard Osher Foundation, and the chair of the PBS Foundation. Would you please give a rousing welcome to Maurice Canbar, a truly Renaissance man. The thing I want to start off with is, and I should disclose the fact that I know you. Yes. All right. Um, there's something about your upbringing, and I think sort of a moat around you of a certain kind of unconditional love, which I think principally was directed to you by your mother, who thought you were perfection completed. I don't Do you know. want to just say a word about what it was like growing up in Brooklyn? Your parents have a small laundry. You have two brothers, Elliot, one of my favorite yeah, names, Ed, Elliot yeah. and Ed. And so, say a well, word was, about Brooklyn. Uh, well, Brooklyn was a beautiful place. Uh, my first job at the age of 12 was working in a drugstore because I was a small, skinny kid. And I didn't want to work at the supermarket because I'd have to carry big packages and help older people. This way here, prescription was somebody to put in my pocket, <laughs> deliver it, and those Did days, you ride a scooter then? No, a bicycle. No. I pedaled okay. a bike. And if you got a nickel tip, that was going fine. If you got a dime tip, that was a big tipper. There was one guy that gave a quarter tip. Oh my gosh. And that was a lot of money, and I couldn't wait for him to get sick again, you know? <laughs> So it was, it, was, it was really lovely. And my parents, who were, were not Orthodox Jews, decided the best school to send me to was a yeshiva. And I hated it, hated it at the time, but today I realize that was a very wonderful thing that they did. I didn't like it because I had to get in at 8.30 till 4.30 when the other kids went to school from 9 to 3. Well, why do I have to? Anyway, it worked out. It was a wonderful Did your day. brothers go to the yeshiva as oh, well? Oh, yeah. Three of us yeah. went to yeshiva. And, and you see, again, they were very dedicated to making sure that their kids are going to go to college out of town. And again, it was just as expensive then as it is now, even though it was only $2,000 a year. Well, the subway fare was a nickel. It's yeah. now $2.50. Yeah, and a big tip no was idea 10 cents. Of, yeah. of what's happened you know, to the value of money. And, but we all went, they all did very well at school. My brothers did better than I did. 
but that is for grades, you know. But, but I've always, you know, had a little uh, inventive, uh, or maybe if I needed to get something, I would do it. Like my, I would say, somebody said, what was your first invention? I said, the kid next door in Brooklyn, his mother bought him a bow and arrow. And I said, Mommy, I'd like to have a bow and arrow. I'm like 12. There's no bow and arrows, no, forget it. We don't, they, don't, they never bought me toys. So I said, God, I want a bow and arrow. So we had a little backyard with some trees, and I looked for a long, straight branch. I cut the branch, tied a piece of string, bent it over, made my own bow and arrow, okay? Hey, now I can play, and I had, look, I got it. I think it was working better than his purchased <laughs> bow and arrow. So things like that, I think, start at a very young age. I mean, my brothers didn't have it, but, you know, I did. You so were just always I've been, curious. I've been blessed. I think, well, again, I've been blessed. It's not that I work harder. It's that, you know, things come to me. I'll explain it when I explain some of these things. Because it isn't a matter of working harder. It's a matter of doing the right thing, the right sequence. And being inquisitive. Being inquisitive. Well, constantly. As a matter of, you know, asking I questions. If you look at a two year old and you want to determine the two year old's IQ, how do you do that? You measure curiosity. You show them something, you see how long is the kid involved, and, you know, <laughs> and then you convert that to IQ. So if you have the curiosity, you will certainly learn. If you don't have the curiosity, then okay, everything is okay. Anyway, I think uh, it's wonderful that you've brought some demonstrations. Yeah. Now, the people on radio will not be able to see these things, but, okay, but we'll try to describe try to them describe so well yeah. that they'll feel okay, a well, tactile here, sensation. Now, we here. want to begin with the defuzzer. Okay, well, this is my How first... How did this come about? This is my first invention, okay? I was at a uh, dude ranch with my college roommate, and I, my, I was wearing a sweater, and my back was against a concrete wall. And he said, come on down to the bar. There's some very nice girls. And I've seen them. Like, no, come on. Then he pulled me. And as, as he pulled me, I looked at the con I said, wait a minute. And I saw two fuzzballs on the concrete. I said, what the hell is going on here? You know? Well, I said, forget it. Go. I'm not going. And I thought about it. And I said, I realized what had happened, that the sand in the concrete was able to grab one of the fuzzballs on my sweater and took it right off. So when I went home, I, got some, I bought some coarse fabric, a quarter of a yard, and then I bought some adhesive, and I put the adhesive on, and then sprinkled sand over it, basically almost like sandpaper. And I waited for it to dry, and then folded it, and lo and behold, on a sweater, it removed the fuzzballs, and the ones that were not too tight, it opened the fuzzballs. Now there's a difference. Some of these new fuzzball removers cut the fuzzballs off. What happens eventually is that the loft, the fibers that stick out are all cut, and the cashmere doesn't have the same soft feel. But with defuzzit, you know what I mean, I, and I put that right here. We originally, it cost us seven cents to make this with the card, and we sold it for a dollar. So we made about 40, 50 cents for each one we sold. I didn't have much money. 
what we did was we took two of these and mailed it to Notion stores and said, we are a small company. We can't afford to send a representative to see you, but we think we have a nice product. And cut along the dotted line and send this order, three dozen, six dozen, 12 dozen. And we got orders. And the reason why I said cut along the dotted line, because to perforate that, they wanted $60. Oh, <laughs> forget it. Okay. Cut along the dotted line. And the first 14 months, we made $220,000. At a time, at that point, the subway fare in New York was 10 cents. It's now 250, so that's 25 times. $220,000 was like making $2 million. It was fabulous, okay? I bought a house on 77th Street between 5th and Madison for $247,000. 25 foot limestone building. It's worth, I don't know, $20 million. Mind boggling. Anyway, so that was my first invention. I finally decided to go on, you know, so I sold this to the kid that I invited to come in. He lost his job. Anyway, he's, he's still making money because I got involved with some other things. Anyway. Why don't uh, we talk huh? a little bit about, and it's very interesting, and um, I recommend this book to all of you okay. who want to go into the innovation business. Maurice is very clear about asking questions, thinking about whether or not what you want to do sort of makes sense. But naming and branding is extremely important. Your quad cinema. And you have to remember that Maurice Canbar is really, in earlier lives, was obviously a filmmaker. He obviously owned studios all over the world. He led a life so rich in film, because now in this iteration of his life, he's been so involved with film societies, he goes to Cannes every year, he's produced films. So say a word about how you decided to come up with Quad Cinema. Okay, well, I, I was having dinner with somebody who came from Chicago, and he was telling me his grandfather built some wonderful movie houses, and. <laughs> movie business was now terrible, and this is 1971. So I said, gee, I go to the movies all the time. I don't understand. Well, he says, people are watching television and whatnot. Anyway, so I walked into uh, actually Lowe's 85th Street. It was a 1,500-seat house. And I counted the house. There was 120 people there. I said, my God, the poor guy is going broke. But I made a determination that people in the movie business, the exhibition business, did not really understand. And that was, things had gotten worse in terms of people paying to come to the movies, but some people still wanted to go to the movies. Well, I realized, I said, whatever, you show a film, so many warm bodies will show up. They don't care how big the theater was. It's a long story. I accidentally owned some property on 13th Street in Manhattan. And I said, you know, we, I could build 450 seat houses. And if each one pulls 100 people, I'm doing great. Anyway, I did that. And it worked beautifully. And we were profitable the first month. And everybody looked at this and God, that's right. You know, you don't have to build a big 1500 seat house. Or if you have a 1500 street, you go broke. But then let's see if we can cut it up and make it into small. But nobody thought 
of building four little movie houses under one roof. So there it was, and to me, once you think about it, not, I didn't think it was brilliant. I said, I made a determination, you know what I mean? Show a film, so many warm bodies will show up, because going to a theater is an event. And I always say, look, it has something to do with sex. How many of you have to do with sex? I look, the guy wants Mary to stay over tonight. So he calls her up, he says, hi, sweetheart, I got a great film on DVD, come on over. Just forget it, I'm not doing it. He says, Mary, I'll take you for a hamburger, and we're gonna see a movie, then we can go home. It's okay. <laughs> Hello? I mean, what? It's not rocket science, okay? Okay. okay. We still, we still now, have Now, before people. Maurice makes everything sound just so elementary and so <laughs> simple that any one of us in this room and anyone in the audience could come up with these uh, very smart ideas, um, let me just ask you to say a few words about 80-20. Oh, come on. All right, well, now, not everything that I've done was a big hit. I mean, I have had a few, but, uh, you know, one I'll give you, which I thought was going to be fabulous. I didn't do my homework. Anyway, I, I had a young lady who said, I'm, I, had a, I did a favor, she said, I'm taking you to lunch. I said, okay. It was Sunday. She takes me to lunch. She drives into a Burger King. I said, I don't want a burger. What is this? This is lunch? She says, oh, Sunday. The rest of them are closed. Oh, come on out. I follow her into Burger King. It was my first time Burger King. She says, order the chicken, oh, chicken tenders. McNuggets is from uh, McDonald's. Anyway, I said, okay, so what do you want to drink? I said, I want to drink uh, Diet Coke because I want to cut down on my sugar intake. She says, okay, I'm saying, what is it, sir? I said, I want a Diet Coke. I got an empty cup. She says, over there. I said, okay, I didn't know what the routine was. <laughs> and I said, Carolyn, look at this. This is America. Regular Coke, Diet Coke, Sprite, yeah. Schmite, uh, Dr. Pepper, Mrs. Jackson, whatever. I said, you have choices. I said, wait a minute, let me try this. I said, I want Diet Coke, okay. I put in about 20% regular Coke, sugar Coke, and 80% Diet Coke, stirred it. And I said, Carolyn, look at this. You can't taste the aspartame. This tastes perfectly like it's 100% sugar. And I said, boy, I went home, I did, I bought diet, I bought regular diet, I was mixing. I said, this is a great item. I said, I've got it. We're going to make 80-20 cola. I said, great. There was a, a very sharp kid, the son of a friend of mine. I said, Russ, I said, I'm going to hire you. He, he just run for office and lost. Anyway, he said, yeah, I'm a very, <laughs> very sharp kid. So I said, okay, Russ, we're going to do this, blah, blah. And I didn't do my homework, okay? We showed it to Safeway. Safeway says, we're going to give you a corner, you know, d display. It's terrific. We love it. What a great idea. 80, 20 gold. We did it. And then I got to study what was really happening. I said, wait a minute. On a six-pack of Coca-Cola diet or otherwise, Coke makes 12 cents. I thought they'd make a dollar. So I can make a half a dollar. You know? I said, that was the first bad thing. And then 80, 20 cola could not be patented. Okay. I said, Russ, you know, I made a big mistake. First, there's not enough money profit. Secondly, I said, if we're successful at Safeway, you can be sure that Coke and Pepsi are going to knock us off, and we won't have a chance to compete. So all I can tell you is I'm closing it down. I'll take a, whatever, $250,000, $300,000 loss. I'm going to give you a month, and that's it. 
the end, so the end of the story was, he said to me, you know, came back two days later, he said, you know, I'd, I'd like to make an energy, energy drink. I said, that's a very good idea, because same eight-ounce thing, they get $2. Red Bull gets $2. Sure. And by that time, he understood the business that you can get contract people to make whatever you want, okay? Make an energy drink with caffeine, taurine, whatever. You can make it and make it taste better, make it taste better than Red Bull. I said, but you gotta get a good name, Ross, because you know, to me, your name is very important. I got a great name. I said, what? He says, my name is Rockstar. Rockstar Energy Drink. I said, Rockstar? Who the hell wants to drink a Rockstar? <laughs> okay? So I didn't invest. I said, no, I'll help you whatever you want, blah, blah. I said, good luck. No, it's a great name. People love Rockstar. I don't, I don't, I don't like Rockstar. Well, to make a long story short, he turned down an offer of $1 billion for the brand. So that's how smart I am. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you don't hit home runs, but you can't be discouraged. The Savage Nation. It's savage on demand. Have you become a victim of the timeshare trap? You think there's no way out? Well, Chuck McDowell, founder of Wesley Financial Group, has helped over 35,000 families out of financial hardship by getting them out of bad timeshares, and they may be able to help you too. Listen, if your timeshare agreement goes on forever, if you were told timeshares are a great investment or your maintenance fees will never go up, you, know, you need to get the facts about timeshare cancellation. For over 10 years, Wesley Financial Group has been dedicated to helping folks get out of a lifetime of debt by canceling their timeshares. So they created a free timeshare exit information kit that reveals how the timeshare industry works and your options for cancellation. To get your free timeshare exit information kit, simply go to iCancelTimeshare.com. That's iCancelTimeshare.com. I'll say it one more time. iCancelTimeshare.com. Thank you very much. iCancelTimeshare.com. There's a wonderful part in, in Maurice's book where he's talking about naming, and, and you've really got to brand things properly. He, he was reflecting on something he had read, that in 1909, a hair product came out, the first hair dyeing product, and it was called French Harmless Hair Dye. <laughs> <laughs> but within a year, the company decided they would rebrand, and it was called L'Oreal. So, the point that, that, yeah. that, um, that, that Maurice is, is making is that, you know, here you knew that the product was not just safe, but, but glamorous. I think that's really very sweet. Now, well, what you have to know as just some background, Maurice feels very strongly that you need to ask yourself these questions as you go into the inventive process. Is what you want to bring to market more environmentally friendly or durable? Is it less costly or time consuming? Is it safer or easier to use? Is it smaller or quieter? Is it more comfortable or attractive? So with that in mind, can you say a few words about that which was initially called roll it? Uh, called roll it, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, look, if I get a little upset about something, I think about it. I got down to the last four pages of post-it notes 
you know, blowing out, uh, so finally separated. And I said to myself, there's got to be a better way to do post-it notes in these stupid little pads. So I thought about it. I said, wait a minute, I got it. I'm going to put post-it notes on a roll and have it delivered electrically, very simple. And I called it Rollit. So anyway, 3M, they own, uh, they own post-it notes. They said, you can't use the word Rollit. I said, why? It is our name. I said, don't be afraid. So they go to court. We had a judge. No, but didn't you do something like post it? No, roll it. No, no. I, the reason why I called it roll it is I was going to say, don't post it, roll it. I think I mean, that's probably what I said to a little bit. Yeah. So we go to court. <laughs> so we go to court, and the judge looks at me and says, you know, they don't post it. You want to call it roll it? I, I said, Your Honor, in 1962, I did this, my first invention, and I called it defuzz it. So if anybody owns it, it's me. <laughs> He was a, he was a, I don't want, I don't want to talk about but this. But would you like to demonstrate this yeah, well, to the so, audience? And as well, you're yeah. demonstrating, look. explain so that radio audience people feel okay, that they're well, with us right here. It's on a roll. The adhesive is in the center. You press a button and the motor lets you take it out. And since the adhesive is in the middle, you know how post-it note curls, this lays flat. And if you want, you want a shorter piece? Just say, Harry, call me. I don't want to use a three by, oops. Anyway, there it is. And again, you can move it, put it over here. You know, it's a, it's a well, I won't say, it's a sticky note, okay? But it works so easily. I have it on my desk, I use it all the time. Just press a button, tear it off, okay? And you can anyway, have a really so, long piece. So I said, to, if, you want, if, if, you, you want. if you have what we call a Megillah, I mean, you know, hey. You could write Evangeline okay. if you wanted okay, to. Okay, there it is. And here, we'll put this on the back of my card here. Sticks perfectly, you know. So it's an efficient and inexpensive way because most of the time, you don't want to use a three by three note. So if you use a one and a half by three note, you're saving 50%. And post-it notes are not cheap. They're like at least a penny a three by three, each piece. And then the guys were doing some, they, they stopped it, but the pads, they sell five pads. And you look, all of a sudden the pad is 90 sheets instead of 100 sheets per pad. I don't know, I don't do things like that. But anyway, so I, th I thought this was a good thing. The judge says to me, well, I don't know, you may have done this. I'm real crazy. He says, I would like to listen to no, I'm, I'm not going to dismiss their suit against you. You can't use roll it because I want to listen to some uh, expert witnesses to tell me what it is. <laughs> I said, Your Honor, they will hire an expert witness who will tell you there's tremendous confusion. I will hire a witness and say, there's no confusion, okay? Because I pay an expert witness who will do that. I says, you will make the ultimate decision. He didn't like me. He says, no, I want to listen. <laughs> I want to listen to the expert witness. And to make a long story short, rather than go to court forever, they wrote a check out for him. It's nice someone said, all right, I'll drop the name, roll it. I'll call it Zip Notes. And that's what I have. And it's called Zip Notes. And uh, 
I'd love to find somebody who can go out there and sell it. I don't have the time. I have, See, um, that's the problem. Well, anyway, you don't okay. have the time. I want to get on to the business of saying to oneself, I want to have a little alcoholic content, but I don't want to have a headache. So why don't you share that story that led to the okay. invention of Sky, S-K-Y-Y, Okay, yeah, okay. that's, uh, it's, again, it's common sense in my book. I didn't see, I didn't think this was rocket science. Anyway, I, I, I went to my yearly physical, it was years like 91 or 92, and my doctor says to me, listen, you don't look well, what, 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 don't you feel well? I said, I have a hangover. He said, what were you drinking? I said, I was drinking very good cognac. He said, stay away from cognac, just drink vodka. I said, why, just drink vodka? I said, okay, happens, you're okay. <laughs> So I switched to vodka. Now, I like to have a drink. I like the buzz. And, you know, I, I'm not an alcoholic, but I like the buzz. I had a martini for lunch, you know, and I have a martini for lunch. I didn't have another drink. I said, no, I'm one, one. Anyway, so I got this headache. So, so, and now I switched to vodka, and I only get a headache like one of four, one of five, one of five times, but not every time as I do with cognac. That was interesting. And then about six months later, I'm having dinner with my doctor, who happens to be a personal friend, my internist. We're celebrating a friend's birthday. We were at a restaurant in New York. And I said, just give me a vodka on the rocks, because I found that it didn't matter what brand. One out of four times, I'd get ahead. Anyway, so the guy paused me, and said, it's okay, I had a drink. And he bought 10, and he says, yeah, give him another drink. We're having another drink. I said, no, 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 have another. I don't drink two drinks. Okay, I had two drinks. And I said, Martin, the second drink today, I've got a headache. What the hell is happening? I usually don't. He says, oh, he says, you got a, this alcohol had a high congener content. I said, what the hell is a congener? I just take an aspirin, another, I went, how do you spell that? I wrote it in my pocket. I went home, I have an unabridged dictionary, there's no such thing as a congener. Okay. I get back to San Francisco, I said, I'm gonna go to the medical library, I know he's not crazy. And I learned something, okay? I'll do it as fast as I can. But anyway, if you take any carbohydrate and add yeast, you could ferment it. During the fermentation, that carbohydrate turns to alcohol. If you use sugar cane, the alcohol is called rum. If you use grapes, the alcohol is called brandy. If you use corn, the alcohol is called vodka. But it's all the same thing, the fermentation, to ethyl alcohol. Nature produces a damn good ethyl alcohol. It's about 98, 99% pure ethyl alcohol with one or 2% congeners. Congeners are naturally forming impurities. Now the alcohol we drink is ethyl alcohol. The one or 2% of congeners are propyl alcohol, acetaldehyde, ethyl formate, amyl alcohol, a lot of chemical junk. And it's this chemical junk that gives bourbon or cognac its flavor. Okay, and that's very interesting. Next time I was in New York, I went back to the same restaurant. I says, give me a vodka neat. And I said, fine, I, had a little, I took one of those little airline bottles and I poured it in there and closed it. And the bartender says, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to a party, they don't drink, I just pour this into the orange juice. Oh, very smart. He didn't say, why didn't you do this at home, you idiot? You know, anyway, <laughs> instead of spending $8 for it. Anyway, so and what I did, 
I sent it to a lab because I wanted to find that. Lo and behold, the lab report is, has a high content of amyl alcohol. I said, I now know what it is. I'm sensitive to amyl alcohol. It gives me a damn bad headache. Anyway, I know enough about chemistry to know you can't filter out these impurities. You must distill at precise temperatures to remove the fractions. Okay, I have to know that. Okay. As I calculated, you need four distillations. To make a long story, I, get a, I find a distiller, and I said, this is what I want. I want a vodka, but I want it to be distilled four times. And the guy said, are you crazy? You don't, we've been making alcohol hair vodka for 120 years. Nobody has asked for four distillations. I said, I want it to be still four distillations. I, will. He said, I, I don't know. I finally said, and this is after a couple, one guy finally said, all right, I'll do it. I said to me, CBD. I said, CB, what? What is that? Cash before delivery. <laughs> I said, okay. And when the check clears, we'll make it for you. All right. Make a long Sent it to him. Check cleared. Made it. You know what I mean? And it, it turned out that I tweaked it with my own little tricks that I used. Uh, and I was able to get a patent for it. And then at the last moment, I said to him, here's another interesting thing. The last moment I said to my, uh, my, my patent attorney, I said, Michael, I don't, I, don't want the, I don't want the patent to issue. He said, why not? Is it driven? No, I don't want the patent to issue. He said, why? I said, I don't know how to protect it. If I tell other people what I'm doing, then one way or another they're going to copy it. Go find them or what? I can't do it, okay? And that was a perfectly intelligent decision to make not to get a patent, okay? So I didn't get a patent. I kept it a secret. And I don't think to this day, they don't know exactly what I'm doing, but they know it's pure, so they're all, now every, every other guy is doing four, four distillations, eight distillations. Anyway, we made a terrific vodka, and it was called Sky Vodka. And there again, name to me is very important. May I go on? Yes, as no, an example, I want you to explain as an example, how you chose Sky. a rich, rich Russian, he spent $25 million to do a vodka that he sells in Russia, and it's called Russian Standard Vodka. Now, in Russia, it works well. Me, a Russian Standard on the rock. In America, it's a stupid call. So after 25 million, it's still not selling. There's always, give me a Russian Standard on the rocks. You sound like an idiot, you know? So, <laughs> and right now, it doesn't even sound The name becomes very, congenial. very important, okay? Yeah. Well, when I did Sky, I, the first name that popped in my head, I'm gonna call it Prince Romanov Vodka. <laughs> so I have a Prince Romanov on the rocks. <laughs> now, how about Tsar Nikolai? But hey, wait a minute, it's not going to be Russia, it's going to be American. So another three months went by. I was very lucky. I looked out the window. We had a beautiful blue. I said, look at that sky. You have to be lucky also. I said, that's Sky Vodka. I called my patent. I said, Michael, I want to register this name. What? Sky Vodka. How do you spell it? Sky, S-K-Y. No good. He said, what do you mean no good? Too generic. That's too generic. It's like, you want to register air or water? Sky? <laughs> Sorry about that. No, this said, is public Damn. radio. Yeah. That's on the radio. Yeah, I don't want to say that. Okay, we can bleep. They can bleep we, that. We they can bleep. Can bleep that. I mean, every movie I go to, the guys are using no, the no, F I know, I know, I know. <laughs> not now. Not now, Maurice. Not anyway, now. Okay. Okay. Oh, God. Okay. So then you said, well, just so to add another said, Y. So then, well, no. Uh, then I took them two weeks. And I said, wait a minute. I'll add another Y. Yeah. It turned Perfect. out to be a blessing. Yeah. Because it gave it a great look. 
says, you also have to be lucky, okay? So I said, I went out and sold it. That was a huge success. And I put it, I said, how'd you get a blue bottle? What are you going to put Sky Vodka in, a yellow bottle? I'm, you know, I'm just like, you got to be a genius to figure out to put in a blue bottle. I think it's very sweet when you read the book that you'll see that Maurice says, you know, there's the Russian stuff, there's the Swedish stuff, but this is really going to be American vodka. And he doesn't put on it, made in America. No. He says, distilled in America from American grain. So, I mean, the whole thing is that really... Took, that took a couple of months. Yeah. Yeah. How can the I say is made in America? Okay. Made with pride. Yeah. Yeah. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. We're talking about this wonderful painter whose work you've always enjoyed, Vermeer. And you say to yourself, wow, I think if the Irish can do something, and of course I'm Irish, so you know, but we're still good friends. That the Bailey's cream you thought was kind of interesting, but you wanted to come up with something very yeah. special with a very special chocolate. So tell us a little bit about Vermeer. Well, I, I, I was talking to some uh, people in, in Holland who were in the dairy business, and I said, you know, I want to make a chocolate cream liqueur to compete with Bailey's. I said, we can do it. You know what I mean? Sorry. And I want, Bailey's uses an Irish whiskey mm -hmm. as a base alcohol. I would be using vodka because it's cleaner. It doesn't have a whiskey taste to it. Okay. Anyway, they, we experiment this, that, do that, do that. Anyway, we made a very, very nice chocolate cream liqueur. Unfortunately, I, by that time, I was too busy with Sky and didn't devote the kind of time that it deserved. Uh, it's still there. If there's anybody here that wants to sell or uh, promote uh, Vermeer's, the Dutch chocolate cream liqueur, I'd be very happy to talk to them, okay? <laughs> My number is in the phone book, okay? <laughs> so uh, we, we have not made, that has not been a success because we, it's just been ignored. But at the beginning, it looked as it was, though everything was very auspicious. You were wondering about whether or not enough people knew about Vermeer, and then the movie came out, and then there were exhibitions across the country, right. and you had on your label the wonderful girl with the pearl earring. Yeah, earring. that's a masterpiece oh. by Vermeer. Absolutely. It's called Absolutely The Girl with the Pearl Earring, often referred to as the Dutch Mona Lisa. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And beautiful we had painting. it here just it's a beautiful last year. And it's very easy to sell. All you have to do is tasting. It takes a lot of time and work, but you go into a uh, where a liquor store and have tasting in the states that that's permitted. We get orders and get reorders, but it's been again management is key. Unless you manage it properly, I don't care what business you're in, you're going to lose money. Okay, and it has not been managed right. So, people are very interested in your inventions, but are interested in knowing if there are a few inventions of other people that you think were quite, or are quite smart. There are a few that you mentioned in the book, as a matter of fact, yeah. like. Like who, 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 who are we talking grips. about, huh? Like good grips. Good grips. I don't know, did I mention that? Already? Yeah. Remember? 
I don't know. My, there was a there my, was my a, memory, a gentleman my memory, my whose, memory is not whose, what it used whose, to be. whose wife. That's because you're on information overload I, I, I and just know. too inventive. But one of the things Maurice mentions in the book, you know, the OXO good grips, is that the gentleman's wife had right. some sort of arthritis of the exactly. hands. Exactly, that was and, brilliant. You know, so it, yeah, speak to it because yeah. Oh well, look. Always look at a problem and say, what can I do about it? I says, older people, they don't have the grip, whatever. So he, I said, I can put a large rubber handle on it, call it good grips. And he was very successful. They made, in, in the book, I think you mentioned 850 implements within the With, family right. of good, good grips. Good grips, okay, I mean, expanded. But based on one simple thing, an observation that many people can't hold on to, can't, make it so that people can hold on to it. Brilliant, you know. It doesn't have to be rocket science to be successful. So a question here that you actually answer in some detail in your book, but to uh, whet the appetite of people, what is the difference between an inventor who has a great idea and goes nowhere and a successful entrepreneur? Okay, well, I, I use an example for that. John and Mary are driving and it's drizzling. This is 15 years ago. He turns the wiper on, turns it off, turns the wiper on, turns He says, Mary, you know what they should have? You should have a button, press a button, and you'd have an intermittent wiper. Wouldn't that be a great invention? Oh, John, great invention. Okay. 10 years later, he buys a car, and lo and behold, it has an intermittent wiping. Turn, intermittent wiping. And he says, Mary, didn't I invent that? Says, no, you didn't invent it. You've got to go one step further. A lot of people have a good idea, but they don't carry through with the idea. So I'm saying, you have to think and say, what could I do? Now you say, but I'm mechanically in, incapable of doing this. Find somebody who's mechanically capable and say, Jack, I want you to design a wiper that works you know, intermittently. And you can find that person. It's not rocket science. And you have an invention. And the guy that... Uh, that happens to be an interesting story because the guy that did invent that ended up collecting millions of dollars from General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler. Uh, this is very interesting. He invented a mechanical system using what is known as a cam to do this, okay? When General Motors and Ford and Chrysler made an intimate wiper, they used it electronically. Very different. And they could have <clears throat> not only just intermittent, <clears throat> excuse me, but variable intermittent. It could be this, this, or it could be, you know. Was, I don't think that they infringed on the man's patent. He had to make that. But the, the jury awarded him millions of dollars, okay? So, but the point is that if you have an idea like that, carry it, go a step further, go... You know, look, you might have an idea, look here, post-it note, you say, gee, I hate this, I hate this pad, how do I, what can I do? All I said was, put it on a roll, okay? And look, put it on a roll, now, how do I find this adhesive, right? Oh, it's a big deal. No, I don't know if you've seen it, but very often you get a letter and there's a strip with a barcode on it. Take that strip off, put it, it's got a removable, adhesive that you can place any place else? Who did I call? I called the guys that make that for the post office. I said, can you make, can you make a roll for me? 
Oh, yeah, you pay for it, we'll make it, you know. So there it is. And there's the roll. As you can see, the, the radio audience can't see, but it's nothing to it. It's a roll. I want it three inches so that I can call. See, press the. Whoops, see, press this. Now you've got a three by three note. Easy as pie, okay? So, again, you've got to think about it. Where do you find a guy to make this adhesive? Oh, because 3M says, we're, we're geniuses. That's why we made this adhesive. Well, there are other geniuses out there, you know? They're not the only geniuses. Anyway, there it is. <laughs> Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. Do you think it's more complicated, more difficult for a new idea to take off today in a more populous, high-tech age? Well, I'm very sorry that I'm not 30 years old, because if I was, I don't know, I, I looked at WhatsApp was sold, and a guy got $19 billion. I couldn't believe it. I still don't understand it, okay? So I'm sure that if I were 30 years old, I would figure out something with some app or something. I'm not saying I get 19 billion, but I get 100 million for an app, okay? So I feel deprived and out of the loop, <laughs> okay? Because I, I, I don't know that, I think. So in, in the book, just uh, for example, the description you give of all of the extraordinary features that can be developed with 3D printing. Well, first, number one, I'm very, I'm very cautious about words. Does everybody here know what a 3D printer is? Okay, about the a, audience okay. for those who it, can't that's, see that's the wrong tend to be nodding their heads. It is not a 3D printer. It is a 3D model maker, not a printer. I mean, yes. So, so what's a 3D? It prints 3D. You know, you know, it's a 3D model maker. We don't get into how it works, but brilliant, you know, I, mean, I love it, we have it. I mean, I have a 3D printer in the office, you know, so that if we want to make a little model, we can make it, it's beautiful. Okay, people want to know what you're inventing now. I well, there's one I mentioned I, I, I can't even talk about, and I think I mentioned that to you. <laughs> okay, well, just uh, know that, that Maurice well, is still know, at there's, it. There's always, there's, there's always, look, here, I've invented something that I will not make a penny, and I, be, I hope to do some good. I was reading where, in the third world, there are a lot of people that are myopic, nearsighted. You show much E. Okay. They can't afford a pair of glasses. I'm sorry I didn't bring them here. No, they're wonderful. Yeah. So I made a strip with two, three, four, five diopters. That's the strength of the lens. So, okay, you say, Mr. Galabucci, look at the E, right? Oh, I see the next one. Oh, I see that. I see the last one. No, no, that one. No, this one. Okay. So we know in the left eye, three diopters, the right eye, four diopters. Here's a pair of glasses. The guy can now see, okay? And it's virtually to his prescription, okay? Because the left eye maybe need a higher diopter. The right eye, what does it cost? 85 cents with the lenses. And we've given away over 50,000, but I'm hope I'm trying to get, if anybody here knows Gates, we give it to them, I'd be very happy to get help. All I'm gonna do is give them, an, I pay, the molds are all paid for. So you can, I'll give you the guy in China, and you can order the glasses, whatever you want. There's a kit that we make with the lenses and the frame. 
and you're in business, and it's very easy to pop the lens in the mm -hmm. frame, and it's a, you know, I call it the Sigmund Freud frame. There are two round discs, or the Albert Einstein. Years ago, they all wore these simple round uh, uh, <laughs> Like your friend Bernard. Huh? Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. How do you know your inventions have not been invented before? You don't know. What you have to do is what is known as a search, a patent search. Today, with the computer, you can get an awful lot of information in the computer and say, oh, somebody has invented this, right? Okay. So you don't have to spend a lot of money for legal fees. Mm -hmm. Which is smart and which you wouldn't want to do. What have you enjoyed most about your work and what have you enjoyed least? Well, of course, the successful inventions are always very pleasurable, okay? 80-20 <laughs> uh, Cola was, uh, I thought, a disaster, okay? I, did a, I made a mistake and I just, there it is. I wrote the check out and it was a loss, okay? But again, you can't, you can't be discouraged to the point where you stop working, you know? So still keep thinking. And I've done a number of things after that, you know? What do you think about some of these crowdfunding sources like Kickstarter? for people who want to uh, bring inventions forward? Well, you know, again, um, the first thing you have to do is think, get upset if it doesn't work right, okay? Whatever you do. The young kids today can say, what, what upsets you about your iPad, you know? If it upsets you, say, how can I do it better? Or what could I do to make it better, okay? And then there's a chance that you can make it better and get a patent and also be able to make a lot of money without having a nine-to-five job, okay? Does that more or less answer it? I if I'm not answering it fully, let's repeat the question. I mean. <laughs> no, no, you did. What, there's some, there are a number of questions, but they all go back to this. And you've answered, but I think it's, it's worth addressing it again. What motivates you? What has led to your being this inventive well, Person. I really think you're born with it, okay? I, I don't think you can make it, but I think you're born with it. And I was saying, I think, to somebody just the other, an hour ago or so, I said, you know, like, if you want to check a two-year-old's IQ, you can't ask them questions, okay? But you check their curiosity. And the more curious that child is, the higher his IQ, because you're going to learn more. Now, a lot of smart people understand a lot of what's going on, but most people don't care about making an improvement. I get very frustrated. I say, well, I'm a perfect example. I get the last pad, three sheets, and I couldn't separate it. I said, there's got to be a better way than a pad. And I put it on a roll, okay? It's not, once you see it, well, no, it's not rocket science, but you have to think about it, okay? And, yeah, it's... Um, there's a need, there's a need. Oh, look, I, I would say the invention that I'm most proud of, which you haven't asked me, right? But I will tell No, you. but it's here. I'm, uh, is it in you're there? You're anticipating, Oh, okay. Maurice. All right, well, you're anticipating. Me, I'll tell you. Okay. All right, but I'm just going... <laughs> All right. So, what are you the most proud of? You know, uh, the Maurice? invention I, that I'm most proud of. <clears throat> 20 years ago, the same, the same internist, a dear friend, the same internist that told me about congeners, 
<laughs> said to me, calls me up and says to me, you know, Maurice, let me tell you something. Last year, there were 20,000 accidental needle sticks. Yes. Okay? I yes, said, this really? is so 20, important. 000? He says, yes, in hospitals, clinics, and whatnot. And he says, you know, if you're dealing with a patient with AIDS or hepatitis, you now have it. It's that easy, okay? And this is terrible. You, gotta, you know, you've got HIV, you're in big trouble, if not go, going to heaven, right? She said, we have to invent something to protect the hospital. I said, all right, Martin, I'll think about it. But I must say, Persistent called me every month. I said, all right, let me think about this. This is terrible because, you know, 20,000 accidental needle sticks. Now, first, how does this happen? You know Murphy's Law, right? Do you know Schultz's Law? How many people here know Schultz's Law? Nobody. Schultz's Law is that Murphy's Law is optimistic. <laughs> Okay? That's how it happens, okay? Anyway, so I thought about it, thought about it, and I said, wait a minute, I, damn it, I got it. The long little thing that I did, very, when you see it, it's very simple. It's known as an eccentric hole on a little disc. Anyway, to make a long story short, invented it, got a patent, went to Beckton Dickinson. They said, oh, this is great. Anyway, to make a long story, it made millions of dollars in royalties. Okay, I don't know what Beckton Dickinson made, hundreds of million dollars. As a matter of fact, I think we, I just spoke to Martin a few hours ago. I think we're down to the, I think this, we got one more payment of royalties to go, okay? And then my patent expires because patents don't last forever. And uh, there it is, it's gone. But why am I proud of that? <clears throat> if that prevented one person from getting AIDS and dying, that saved one life. It's a great thing because in Judaism we have he who saves one life saves the world. So that I'm most proud of. Forget about the money it made. I mean, it all went to charity for me anyway. And I gave him 25% of the royalty, so he was very, very happy. But anyway, it may have saved one life. I'm delighted. There's one other um, invention that I think is really quite wonderful. Um, and it's because people are becoming, you know, more interested in eating well. You know, it goes back to, you know, the old Tiny Tim thing yeah. about you are yeah. what you eat and the rest of it. Why don't you just say a word about the evening that you went and had dinner and you said, well, this looks good, except the problem is it's white rice and this is all going to turn into sugar and I want to be well. And yeah. So tell us that story, because it's really well, no, wonderful. No, actually, sort of, I, I, have, I have some cousins who live in Panama, and they came to visit me in San Francisco, and Henry's wife, Frida, decided to make me a dish. She said, you gotta try this dish, very popular in the Middle East. I said, okay. I said, what is it? It's white rice and lentils. Mm -hmm. Very popular in the Middle East. Okay. Uh, I said, I won't eat this. He said, why not? I said, I don't eat white rice. But I said, well, give me the recipe, blah, blah. So he said, okay. I went out and bought brown rice and made it through with brown rice and free to taste this. Oh, this is much better. I'll never use white rice again. So again, sometimes you've got to demonstrate to get something that, to click. If I just tell her, use brown rice, she said, okay. But I said, no, I'll make it with brown rice. Now you can taste it with it. And being an experimenter, I kept experimenting, and we made a product, I made a product which I call Sufu, 
which is super food. It's sold in Whole Foods, mm -hmm. Molly Stones. I mean, it, it, we have not had one supermarket refuse to put it on. It's got nine grains. But the interesting thing is, there's not one rice recipe that I know that uses whole wheat berries in the formula. We use whole wheat berries and we use whole rye berries. And it gives it a crunch. It, I think it's a delicious food. It's available at Whole Foods. It's called Sufu, S-O-O-F-O-O, -O -O, for super food. And it's terrific, high protein, all the rest of that. And it's organic, okay? No pesticides, no, no uh, you know, what are they, the modification? The yeah, chemical genetic modification. modification. It's, it's very good food. Anyway, it's available and uh, it's healthy. And I like things that are healthy and delicious. So, and if you want to serve it for breakfast for your kids, put add maple, some maple syrup, syrup on. or brown yeah. sugar. Kids want it sweet. And it's a hell of a lot better than Cheerios. And a lot better for the kids. Michael Savage, a host like no other. I, I think what's interesting, because it's not just the invention of things, but it's carrying through the entire process. As I recall from the book, you actually went to different markets. You had people trying it so that you had people. No, well, I hired a person yeah. to go sell it. I said, how are you going to sell it? I will show the buyer. This is a great, uh, it's got nine grains, and it has protein, and it has its organic. I said, that's it? Yeah, I think, I think I'll buy it. I says, no. I said, I want you to buy a wide mouth thermos I want you to cook it in the morning, take it to the buyer and say, here it is, it's got all this protein. I said, but I want you to taste it, Mr. Buyer. Open again, have a little paper cup, put it in there, I said, taste it. Oh, oh, yeah, we'll put it in. Okay? It's as simple as doing that, which changes the whole picture. Exactly. Okay? Because you just show it and told us, yeah, or we'll think about it. Goodbye. Let him taste it. And we'd like to have tastings. And we have tastings, and people, oh, yeah, I'll take it, okay, I'll, yeah. Ted Danson was there. So, oh, Mr. Danson, oh, no, 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 please, just, uh, oh, all right, I'll taste it. Oh, oh, I'll take two packs, you know. And then again, it's all based on management. So I said to the guys, all right, I said, Mrs. Jones buys a, a sufu. Now what? What happened? Oh, we say, thank you very much, Mrs. Jones. I says, are you crazy? First of all, you have a little brochure and say, Madam, we would like your input. If you have recipes, if you've added strawberries or chicken liver or whatever, we want to hear from you. Get involved, okay? Tell your friends about it, you know. You morons. I mean, if I tell you, sometimes I think I'm surrounded by idiots, but anyway. No, no, no. You never, no, 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 Maurice. No, it's, it's interesting true. in the um, in the the back of what? the book when you're talking about social media and all and and noting that you know inventions like Facebook can be very helpful because you can have people go yep. and post recipes and get into little Correct. competitions in the rest terrific. terrific yes okay so some people want to know since they know you're a very successful inventor uh, if people come to you with inventions that they'd like you to back. How do you uh, respond? Well, again, if somebody thinks he has something that is an invention, 
I mean, it could be 15 years old, go on the web and check to see if there's such an invention out there. Describe your invention. I mean, I think any 15-year-old can do this for you. So then you can say, well, there's no such invention, okay, applied for or issued. Now, you say, what do you do now? Make a model of it. Don't just tell me I want to do this. Show me what, show me what it looks like. With today, you've got 3D printing or 3D model making. You can have something made for very little money to show what it is. It could be a, a new a towel holder. I don't know, whatever it is. Try to make a sample. Try to say, now this, if we can produce this commercially, I know this will sell a bubble. Okay. And, of course, apply for a patent. So somebody wants to know, and I, I, I don't, let me just raise the question. What do you think of Tesla's releasing its patents? Well, first, in, the, in terms of the, it's not, look, you say Tesla or electric cars running, no pollution. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've got to manufacture electricity. And in order to manufacture, most of the electricity manufactured is still using coal. And that puts a lot of carbon dioxide in the air. So I say, Mr. Musk, Elon Musk, I said, this doesn't come without pollution. Yeah, riding the car in the city does not create pollution, but somebody's got to create the electricity. Oh, we're going to use solar panels. Well, you have to have a whole lot of solar panels if you've got a thousand cars. Okay, you've got acres and acres of, so it's not that easy. I am praying that we are able to harness the power of fusion Right now, any of the atomic plants are doing fission, which produces radioactive waste. If we had fusion, there would be no radioactive waste, and we could produce huge quantities of electricity, okay? And it would change the world, because what we would do is take that electricity and put it into water and disassociate H2O into H and O. The O we let go, the hydrogen we put into cylinders. That will run a car with a $400 conversion. Hydrogen will run a car. And when the hydrogen burns, what do we get? Water vapor. Okay, fabulous. I hope it happens tomorrow, okay? Right now, we have not yet been able to control a fusion reaction so that we can create heat to make steam, to run generators, to create electricity. And I'm praying that happens. You know, we've reached the point in the program where there's time for only one last question. And so many people have noted that you've been this wonderful, successful inventor, but that you are also a very committed philanthropist. Okay. And I'd like you to just say a word about how you feel about this. Your brother Elliot said you should stop working because, yeah. you know, what are you working to for? To do what? What are you working for? And your response is, you know, I'm not working to make money because everything I make, I give away. Yeah. But I think part of that stems from your wonderful background, your family, tradition, well, you know, and, and repairing the world. Well, I, 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 I grew up with, you know, there's more on your plate than you can consume. Find someone who's hungry. Okay? And I'm saying here the poor people can't get 
eyeglasses. Well, now you're for 85 cents. Look, I can see. Or a 10-year-old at school, I can't see the blackboard. Oh, my God, I can see. And it's so simple. It's not rocket science and so inexpensive. So if I could do something that does good, I'm delighted, you know. Uh, look, my, both my parents died of heart attack. They never suffered like cancer. They, they died in their sleep, okay? So I said, I, I'm, nothing would please me more if people made some tremendous advances in cardiac problems and also had treatment and whatnot. So I give money to the you know, cardiac center, heart center. Uh, I, I give a lot of money for research, for instance, that one research product that I hope will succeed, they're doing research and trying to create a superconductor. I say, what the hell is a superconductor? Who needs it? Well, it's very simple. It's not complicated. <clears throat> if we generate electricity in Los Angeles and then send it to San Francisco, by the time it gets here, we've lost at least 25% of electricity in the transportation because the conductor is not a superconductor. But if we had a superconductor where you can transport electricity through a conductor without losses, we could generate electricity in Victoria Falls and send it to Europe. Again, it would change the world. And at night in New York, you know, they would send it here, it's still daylight, you know, so you, different uh, time zones. Anyway, it would change the world, so I support that. And I'm making some progress, okay? They're not even using metal now. They've got a nylon cord that looks like uh, a tennis string, nylon tennis string, you know, but they've impacted it with microscopic nanoparticles of carbon, and it's conducting. It is not a superconductor, but it's conducting. Progress. And we're waiting for a miracle. It's like, people don't know this, but 1947, three guys at Bell Labs were fooling around with a disk of silicone, and it was a non-conductor, okay? And uh, one of them said, well, let's try to pass a current across the, well, they passed a small current, ah, it became a conductor. They're in the name semiconductor, okay? Then there goes the transistor. It changed the world. Now, I understand the transistor. What I don't understand is how in God's name can you put two million transistors on a half-inch chip? Mind-boggling. So I don't understand everything, okay? All right. Let me just say, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know. we express deep appreciation to our guest, Maurice Canbar, inventor, philanthropist, and author of the newly updated version of his 2001 book, Secrets from an Inventor's Notebook. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. 
This is Michael Savage. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.